Well, good good evening, everyone. Um, I know most of you, but I'm Will Stern, the the pastor of Hope. And before we dive into the text today, I wanted to tell a story that many of you have heard, but uh, it was in North Carolina at my parents' church when we were still preparing to launch Hope Church. Uh, A woman came up to me after I preached and said, oh, I'm from Florida And there's this wonderful young man at my church named Jonathan, and he's going to be coming up to Westminster to to go to school at Westminster Theological Seminary. And I said, well, great. And I gave her my card, and I said, tell him that he needs to be involved with the church plant. And I didn't expect anything to come of it. And then I got an email from Jonathan once he had arrived in Pennsylvania. He visited our core group meeting, and then he's been with us ever since. And I said that was the the best business card that I ever gave to. (laughs) But today, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture together. So if you have a Bible with you, or I think there are a few Bibles there as well, and it's also printed in your bulletin if you want to look there, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 6. Now, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter. I think most of you know who Peter is. The great disciple, the one who recognized Jesus as the Messiah, you are the Son of God, the one who denied Christ three times, and then was eventually restored, became a lead apostle in the early church. And he was writing this letter to Christians who were facing severe suffering. And so in a way, 1 Peter is a handbook on suffering. It tells us how to suffer well as Christians. So again, this is 1 Peter chapter 5. Now at the beginning of chapter 5, Peter is addressing shepherds in the flock. And he's telling them to to shepherd the flock that is among them. That would have been a great text to preach at an ordination service. And then he talks about the call to humility. He says to clothe yourself with humility towards one another. That God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So picking up in verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we know that dominion belongs to you. Dominion forever and ever. And we thank you for the promise of the gospel. And we know that by the grace of God, you have called Jonathan to be a minister of the gospel. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage about suffering, about what it means to follow you, we ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us, the Holy Spirit would open my mouth to speak, open our ears to hear, our hearts to understand, and our wills that we would respond in obedience to the things that you have written. So, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you may have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. And if so, you'll remember the very difficult scene at the beginning of the movie, where they're on the transport vessels, they're heading towards the beaches of Normandy, D-Day. The men are terrified. They know that in just a few moments, the front of the transports will lower, and they're going to face something terrible, something hard. There'll be danger, danger of machine gun fire. There'll be danger of landmines, danger all the way to the place of victory. Now, without trivializing their sacrifice, I think that there is, in a sense, an analogy for what is happening here in this service. That in a sense, Jonathan has been on the transport, heading toward the, the beaches of ordained ministry. And he's been preparing for a long time. And as soon as the front of that transport lowers, he's going to face danger. He's going to face hardship. And that's part of the reason that I chose this text from 1 Peter. It shows us four dangers and how to confront those four dangers, both in life and in ministry. And these are dangers that Jonathan will face in life and in ministry. But the dangers that we see here, these are dangers that you will face as well. And so this text is useful for all of us to know how to confront the dangers that we face in the Christian life. So as I said, there are four dangers that we're going to look at. So here's the first danger. The front of the transport lowers. The first danger is pride. Now, pride can come so easy in ministry. And I think, Jonathan, there will be times in ministry where things will go great. Your church will grow. People will love your preaching. People will want to be around you. They'll respect you. And then in those moments, there's always the danger that you'll begin to agree with your greatest fans. That you'll begin to say, yes, I actually, I am really great. And maybe the church is growing because of me. And when that happens, it's the root of pride. And if that happens, you're in profound danger. Because according to the Bible, pride is one of the most dangerous sins. It says in 
the book of Proverbs that pride comes before destruction. You could think of the, the pride of Satan exalting himself in his fall. You could think of the, the pride of Adam and Eve, the pride to think that they could listen to their own minds, to the word of Satan, rather than to the, to the word of God. And if you think about it, then, at the very foundation of all sin is this root of pride, to exalt ourselves, to think that we're really significant, to think that we're really important. So it's dangerous. So then you need to ask, how can we confront the danger of pride? Well, look at verse 6 in your Bible. Peter says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So you can see there the command. Humble yourself. That's the command to Jonathan as he enters ministry. Humble yourself. But that's the command to each and every one of us here as well. When that root of pride rises up within us, humble yourself. That's the command. And notice also the sphere of that command. He says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Not under the latest scientific theories. Not under the great intellect of our times. But he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. But then notice also the goal, the motivation of this command. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he might exalt you. So in this way, we're called to follow the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus humbled himself. That's what we're celebrating during the Christmas season. He humbled himself, taking on true humanity, truly God and truly man. He humbled himself, being born of the Virgin Mary. He humbled himself under the law. And remember the temptation that he faced from Satan in the desert. Satan tempted Jesus to exalt himself prematurely without the cross, without suffering. And thankfully, Jesus resisted the temptation. But that's the temptation for each and every one of us to, to cut short the path of the cross, to cut short the path of suffering, to try to claim exaltation now in ourselves rather than humbling ourselves. Because remember what it says in Philippians chapter 1, chapter 2 rather, that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. 
So that's our call, to, to follow the path of Christ. Humiliation, not exalting ourselves, trusting the sovereign plan of God that in the proper time, he will exalt you. And that's the first danger that we see here in our text. But now let's look at the, the second danger. You're on the transport. You're speeding toward vocational ministry. The front lowers. And the, the second danger that you face is anxiety. Anxiety. And of course, I said that sometimes in ministry, and this is, will be true for Jonathan, things are great. Your church grows. Everybody responds positively. But then sometimes they don't. Sometimes people criticize you. Sometimes people don't like your preaching. Sometimes people don't like your leadership. Sometimes people don't like what you're doing. Sometimes that criticism is justified. Sometimes it's unjustified. But either way, everything seems like it's going wrong. And then in that moment, you face temptation to anxiety. Now, in a way, this is still in the category of pride. Because you'll notice in our text that he tells us to confront pride by casting our anxieties on the Lord. And we'll get to that. But we could say, in a sense, that anxiety is the other side of the coin from pride. Because pride looks at what's going on, and when things are going great, it says, it's because of you. You're that good. But then anxiety does the opposite, that when things aren't going well, or you're afraid maybe that they won't turn out the way you hope, you say, it's your fault. And somehow if you were able to try harder, or if you had done the right thing, or if you plan better, then it'll turn out the right way, which is a form of pride, and you give way to anxiety. So the question then is, how do we confront anxiety? Look again at verse 6 in your Bible. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then how? How is it that we humble ourselves? By casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. That that is the way to deal with the anxieties. The anxieties that we all face. I'm sure everyone in this room faces anxiety to one degree or another. And God says, cast your anxieties on me. You think of Jesus saying, Put, give me your anxieties. Give it to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Give your burden to me, and I will carry that burden for you. And it says to cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. And how do we know that he cares for us? What well, says in Scripture that there's no greater love than this, than a man lays down his life for another. That's exactly what Jesus does. He lays his life down for his people. He lays his life down for us if we trust in him. And so then you say, does he care for me? Yes. 
Can I cast my anxieties on him? Yes. Great comfort that we face in life. So that's the second danger then. The danger of anxiety. But now let's move to the third danger. You're on the transport, speeding towards ministry. The door lowers. You face the danger of temptation. Temptation. Now, temptation will come in the form of pride when things are going well. As we said, temptation will come in the form of anxiety to try to control events. But I can guarantee for Jonathan that in vocational ministry, he's going to face countless temptations. And in fact, there is a malevolent force behind that temptation. Look in your Bible at verse 8. It says that the devil prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That we believe in the reality of evil. We believe in the reality of Satan. We believe in the reality of the demonic. And that's something that we all face. But for those who are in ordained ministry, there is an, there's a special bullseye on you. Because Satan isn't dumb. He knows that he can economize his resources. That yes, he's happy if an ordinary Christian falls into sin. That's great from his perspective. But when a minister, when someone leading a church falls, whether it's heresy, false belief, or it's immorality of life, it's not just a ripple in the church. It can be a splash. It can be a tidal wave. And perhaps you have experienced that in your own life, that you've had immorality among leaders in the church, and it makes you have, want to have nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with Christianity, that the impact is devastating. And so for Jonathan, he's going to face the temptation of Satan in a way that others may not. And it will come in many, many different forms. So then the question, how do we face temptation? How do we face it? Well, look in your Bible at verse 8. Peter says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So you see what Peter says. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Think about Peter. Remember what happened in the Gospels when he was with Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way. Pride. <laughs> There's no way that I'm going to deny you. I will 
die for you. And then after the Last Supper, they end up going out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember, Jesus is praying. And he goes to the disciples and he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what did Peter do? He fell asleep. He was not sober-minded. He was not watchful. At the very moment of temptation, Judas Iscariot comes. Peter runs away. Jesus, Jesus is arrested. He denies Jesus three times. And of course, he's restored. But think about that here in our text as he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Because he's, he's saying, I didn't think I would fall. I didn't think I would face that kind of temptation, even though Jesus told me specifically. And if I could fall, you can fall. So be sober-minded. Be watchful. And of course, how do we do that? How are we sober-minded and watchful? Well, we're always dedicating ourselves to prayer. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And for Jonathan, he needs to remember to maintain that pattern of prayer throughout his life. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. He also will need to devote himself to the Word of God to maintain a, a pattern of, of regular Bible reading, not just for what he's preaching or what he's teaching, but to be in the Word for himself, to come to the fountain of living water for himself, knowing that I, I need this because I'm facing the temptation of Satan himself, the conflict of ministry, facing the world, the flesh, and the devil. But then he'll also need to, to maintain relationships with people who will speak the truth to him, who will hold him accountable. That he needs the, the Nathans in his life who will speak, say to him, you are the man. People who will remind him of his sin, who will encourage him, will help him stay alert and watchful. And that's true for all of us to be sober-minded, to be watchful. And that's why then as we're doing that, he says, then we can resist. Think of James who says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That, that we join the Lord's powerful resistance army. We recognize the, the words of John Owen that if we're not killing sin, sin will be killing us. We recognize the words of the book of Hebrews that says that we have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding our blood, that we, we join the resistance by the grace of God through the Spirit to the glory of God. So that's the, the third danger, the danger of temptation. Now here's the final danger, but you can also think of this as the, the conclusion of this message. And it's the danger of suffering. The danger of suffering. 
Because all that I've been describing is a form of suffering. But Jonathan in ministry will suffer. And actually, the Bible says that if we don't suffer, it's kind of a bad sign. Because he says that if you follow me, you will suffer. People will speak against you. You will face hardship. And so if everything is great, if there's no suffering, then we need to examine ourselves. Are we false teachers? Why is it that we're not suffering? But the suffering may come in different forms. It could be sickness in body. It could be opposition from the outside world. Persecution. We don't know what will arise in the future. It could be hardship within the church, immorality in the church, false belief in the church. That there will be suffering. So how do you face suffering? Well, I'll point you to the, the final two verses here in our text. Verse 10. Peter says, And after you have suffered a little while, and I, I love that understated way, after a little while, which could be your entire life here on earth, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So that's what we, we need to remember whenever we face suffering. The promises of God. And I want to especially today speak to those here who, who may be suffering. I imagine that some of you are here and you're suffering. Maybe other people know what you're going through. Maybe there are people who don't even know the suffering that you are engaged in right now. And you're wondering, can I keep going? Maybe you're tempted to give up hope completely. There's, there's no hope. There's no way to face this suffering. But we can remember the, the good news of Christianity, that the Bible says that Jesus came into the world taking on a true human nature, truly God, truly man, and one person, that he lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death on the cross, bearing the wrath of God against the sins of his people. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. He's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And the Bible says that when we repent of our sins, when we cast all of our anxieties on the Lord, when we, we humble ourselves saying, I can't save myself. No good work, no good deed, nothing I can possibly bring to earn your favor. Trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. That as we do that, we're united to Christ by faith. Our sin is counted to him on the cross. His perfect righteousness is counted to us. We are adopted into the family of God. He begins the work of conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. And then it's in union with Christ that we can begin to face pride. You say, my sin deserved the death of the Son of God. There's no room for pride. We begin to confront anxiety. 
God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die. Why am I anxious? He is in control. Fear not. We can begin to face temptation in Christ. He faced temptation. He resisted. And in Jesus, there was always a way of escape when the day of temptation comes. And then finally, we can face suffering in Christ. Because we're not suffering merely as individuals, but it says that when we suffer as Christians, that we are joining in the suffering of Jesus Christ, that we are joining Jesus on the way to the cross. He says, take up your cross and follow me, that we are suffering with Christ. But then also having the promise that if we are joined with him in his suffering, we'll be joined with him in his glory, the promise of hope and resurrection. And we hear that great promise, and I'll read it again and leave it here today, that after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory and the dominion of Christ. Lord, we recognize that the Christian life is a life of suffering. That we are engaged in a, a spiritual conflict in this life. That we're called to wage the good warfare. To fight the good fight of the Christian life. And Lord, I thank you for calling Jonathan as a leader within that battle of the Christian faith. But Lord, we thank you that the outcome is secure, that we know the outcome, that even though there could be the danger of pride and anxiety and temptation and suffering, that it's, it's, it's done, that Jesus has completed our salvation, and that we know that the D-Day— of Christ taking the wrath of God on the cross will end with the V-Day of Jesus coming again to establish the new heavens and the new earth. And so, Father, we, we look forward to that and keep us strong in Christ by the Spirit to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.